Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. It, oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I am your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to our podcast. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books entitled Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available at Amazon in ebook and paperback, volumes one through eight. And if you've got the audio itch, you could get volumes one through seven, seven being the newest, at Audible, iTunes, and Amazon as well. So show your support or else and go <laughs> out there and buy some of these books. And now Having brushed my tooth and ready for the podcast, here is my brother and co-host, K.J. Sheehan. Or else. (laughs) I specified that I did brush my tooth. (laughs) What's going on, Bill? (laughs) I'm okay. You know, doing good here. We've had two or three days back to back now in the 50s and 60s. Oh, same here. It's like so nice to see the sun. Oh, you know, we, we haven't had all the snow, but I was like building an ark uh, in the workshop. It's rained forever. Well, you know, I see the I see the uh, forecast running up and down the eastern seaboard, and you guys are getting swamped. Oh, you got to see like the lakes and the rivers uh, just overflowing. Wow. You know, well, as long as they're not crazy. overflowing into your backyard. No. If my backyard floods uh, up up near Raleigh, we got big problems. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right, man. But those other poor people, I mean, I always oh. feel bad when I see these shots of neighborhoods. I, I mean, this flooding stuff is I mean, it's so terrible. You know, you can't do anything about it either. Once that water starts rising, it has to be terrifying. Yeah, it, it just what do you do? I mean, you're just losing everything in front of your eyes. Plus, when it, like, floods the Bigfoots out and they start climbing on your roof to seek shelter, I mean, you know. (laughs) You know, it's funny. I was watching, not funny, uh, ironic is more the word. I was just watching a special on Nova about saving the Dead Sea. And so here we are getting swamped with rain for months and months and months. And I never complain about the rain. It is... It's just a beautiful thing. I mean, if you don't have rain, you turn the tap on, you got nothing to drink. No, yeah. But on the flip side of the coin, the Dead Sea and the Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee and the Red Sea, 
mainly the Dead Sea is in trouble mm. uh, because they've been diverting water from it uh, for many years, and now these uh, resort areas on the shoreline are shut down. I mean, it looks like it got bombed out. Sinkholes and the shoreline mm. decreasing by a mile. Mm. And I said to myself, wow. But, you know, the area wasn't set up for the population that now lives there and the demands they're putting on the water. You know, you build in a desert, <laughs> you know, and start to move millions of people in there. I don't know, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt about it. I, I actually, on a tangent, so we'll be careful not to go too far, but it's a pretty interesting story. I was reading the story about Las Vegas and their uh, water conservation rules that they put in place not that long ago, you know, maybe within the last two decades, and how they turned that place around. Because it used to be like they were always running out of water, and they put some simple rules in place, like, you know, you can't all have a big green front lawn. You know, you live in the desert. Yeah. And then the main thing they did was they started to use uh, gray water, you know, like Water that was almost okay for drinking, but not okay for drinking, purely for irrigation. And I guess every house had like three pipes in it. They call it the purple pipe, I think, where, um, you know, that water came in from the city as part of your city water, but it wasn't for drinking, but you could use it for everything else. Perfect. Yeah. So there you go. And they've mastered, they masterminded their own solution. You know, it just makes yeah, sense. Yeah, and the Kevin. stats are dramatic on how much they cut back on water. So if you're interested in that kind of thing, read about that. It's pretty cool. Absolutely. No, it's cool. It's interesting. I'm a I'm a data freak. Yeah. So I, I, I like stuff, and that's why I watch Nova. You know, I like yeah. interesting, you know, scientific data coming across about this, that, and the other thing, you know. And you're just looking for Carl Sagan to return. <laughs> Maybe what Carl, maybe what Carl Sagan for. riding on the shoulders of a Bigfoot. <laughs> what I'm looking for, my friend, is a Bigfoot. Oh. A big, nasty, snarling, hair-covered, stink-pot Bigfoot. How about red eyes? He could have red eyes or gold or black. Oh. But, uh, you know, you heard my machine gun. I mean, I'm freaking ready for this guy if he shows up. I'm surprised you were okay with the red eyes, though. Well, I'm not okay with them, but I could shoot at anything, whether got it's got red eyes or You got some silver bullets in that machine gun, too, right? <laughs> every, every fourth bullet is silver, just in case. Hey, when you throw in 600 a minute, it doesn't matter every fourth bullet. <laughs> <laughs> Catch this if you can, big boy. <laughs> Awesome. So what do you got today, brother, in the cryptids in the news? Yeah, we got a little bit of a two-parter. So first off, uh, in cryptids in the news, and I'll underline, and other oddities. <laughs> so right. we're going to do, do an oddity first that was in the news just this week. I don't know if you saw it. And then we'll talk about a more traditional cryptid legend. Uh, all right. So did you happen to see the uh, bear... 
Uh, they call it a brown bear, but it's a grizzly bear, huge bear, mm-hmm. uh, that was chasing skiers on the ski slope in Romania. I saw a, all they gave us on our news broadcast was about a four-second clip of this thing running about 75 yards behind somebody who was skiing, and then they broke in and said, and people were shouting at him, watch out, there's a bear chasing you. But the clip ended very quickly. Uh, well, I'm going to put the clip uh, up on our website, BigfootTerrorInTheWoods.com. And apparently it's the second time in about a month, where, uh, or second time in a couple of months, where these big grizzlies came out on the slopes. This is broad daylight, tons of people skiing. They show clip of this thing climbing up the edge of the snow, like out of the woods and onto the open trail at the Predil Ski Resort in the Transylvanian Mountains of Romania. That is freaking really bizarre. Yeah, and this thing is big. Yeah. And it's cruising down the slope, you know, looks like it's doing like 30 miles an hour chasing anybody on skis. You know, I, I am really surprised, though, you know, that no authorities are out there, airborne or anything, looking for this thing to dart it and move it or something. I, I don't understand how this happens. Well, we're in Transylvania. <laughs> no, that is true. <laughs> why, should we, why should we shoot a tranquilizer at Vlad? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's Count Dracula's pet. He used to, or he used to take the form of a bat, and now he takes the form of a large brown bear. <laughs> well, look, you can't blame the bear. He's hungry. Yeah, but you never see this. No. Never. I've never even heard of anything like this. And they think it's the same bear? That, well, they actually think it's the brother of the bear that did it the first time. And it's interesting. You know, we were talking about the flooding and that, and they, they say in this article, and it's on abcnews.com, The combination of climate change, waking bears from hibernation earlier, and the expansion of mountain homes, ski resorts, and hiking trails is likely bringing more people and people to the bear country and waking the bears up early. Because remember, it's snowy, like it's ski season. Bears are supposed to be sleeping. No, it is. It is odd. And, And let me tell you something. If you wake me up early... I'm coming for a piece of you too, so I'm I'm pro bear in this. Uh, I'm pro bear. But I will show you the video, and folks, you know, if you never saw, you know, what they call a brown bear, otherwise known as a grizzly, I mean, this is uh, quite the specimen. You know, you can see the monster claws on this thing, and uh, the big hump on the back. And I mean, this thing is a beast. You know, they really have to be careful there because. Oh. All they need is for this bear to head somebody off, causing them to stop or do a snowplow or something. And now they're stuck on the hill, standing still and trying to figure out how to get out of the way. And that bear's going to have them. Well, Bill, I mean, it's, uh, you know, it's on like not the steepest slope on the mountain either. So it's not the best skiers. And, you know, you, you you can fall if you're not too good of a skier or a snowboarder just because you're worried about something. And if you're not worried about, you know, a 500-pound grizzly running down the slope behind you, what the heck are you going to worry about? 
Yeah, I mean, you're right. The, the clip I saw, uh, I don't want to call it a bunny hill, but it was not steep. No, it's pretty flat, though. It's yeah, pretty it flat. wasn't steep. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. So and that's it's wide. Just... And it's, you know, the classic wide and fairly flat ski slope. Right. You know, no trees in the middle of it or anything. Plenty, plenty of room to flip-flop and fall down and exactly. get, get your practice in, you know. Wow, that's crazy. And that's an, a strange little oddity. I wasn't expecting you to bring something like that to the table. Well, I saw it on the news. It popped up on my Amazon Echo this morning, and I was like, whoa, check this out. Yeah. I'm yeah, it's interesting. That in. Yeah. Very good. Very All good. right, so that's the oddity. And now we're going to talk about the cryptids. Mm. And this okay. is the story of the beast of the land between the lakes. Ah, interesting. Do you know this critter? Well, uh, I have a strange hunch about it, but uh, let's dig into it and uncover the truth about it. So this area, so I said it's the beast of the land between the lakes, and there's actually a large recreation area called the land between the lakes, and it's in western Kentucky, here in the mm-hmm. United States. Mm-hmm. It's west of the city of Bowling Green, Kentucky, mm-hmm. and northwest of Nashville, Tennessee. So out on the western end of Kentucky, just above Tennessee. Okay. Yeah. And now, that's, that area in there is, the, uh, folks, you know, you have to pardon my ignorance, uh, but that area that you're talking about, Kev, is that kind of in the Appalachians? I think it's in the Appalachian Mountains, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And this place, the land between the lakes, it's a pretty cool uh, geographic setting in that you have picture these two vertical, narrow lakes parallel to one another. Okay. Um, and then there is a land, you know, almost like an island or a peninsula mm-hmm. between these two lakes. Okay. And that whole area is this uh, recreational area called the Land Between the Lakes. Okay. Aptly named. You know, they didn't hire a marketing firm to come up with that. <laughs> and now, how much area does this Land Between the Lakes uh, consume? 170,000 acres. Wow. It's big. Yeah. Big. Yeah. yeah, this is a big piece of property there. And nothing in there except for this recreation area. So no cities, no towns, nothing. But it is a peninsula, so people can access it. It's not oh, an yeah, island. Yeah, you can access it. It's not an island. Um, it probably has some other geographic name because, you know, you'll look at it. I'll put a picture of it, a map of it up on our website, too, on under this episode because it's pretty cool. Somebody can fill us in on what that's actually called. But, I think uh, it might be called an isthmus. Could be an isthmus. Um, I think there's some other name if there's lakes on either side of it. Well, but you I've... remember what Stymie said. Isthmus be my lucky day. <laughs> <laughs> Good old Stymie. I love Stymie. And he Little had a great rascals. hat. I'd Power like to have yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. So get this. So there is a beast that has been seen in uh, olden days, you know, 1800s, all the way up until like the 1980s. Wow. Yeah. So this has been around here. Okay. And you're going to like the description of this beast. Okay. So 
Close your eyes, folks, and listen to this. So, gigantic, half-man, half-wolf that walks on its hind legs. It has five-fingered human hands, but on the ends of the hands, it has like uh, Edward Scissor hands, like claws. Mm. It's over seven feet tall. Its jaws have huge fangs and uh, crushing power. And what color eyes does it have, Bill? Blue? No. <laughs> Glowing red eyes. Oh, man. Yeah. Wow. So this thing is creepy. I mean, it's like dog man extraordinaire. Now, I know you're going to get into this, but you said up through the 80s. Was that like the last time it was seen? That was one of the last ones that I read about. Okay. So, and there's a there's a, a few different legends, and we'll touch on some of them, but not all of them tonight. Okay. Um, and, you know, one of the legends says that it begins as a Native American creature that also had the ability to shapeshift. There we go. Uh-huh, a little mm-hmm. Rougarou action. Yeah, where we've heard this before. Exactly. And another legend speaks of a man who left Europe in the 1800s to settle in the land that back then they called it the land between the rivers. Hmm. And this man, apparently, you know, legend has it that he had a disease that turned him mad after nightfall. Have we heard that before? Yeah, we've heard that before, but that wouldn't explain seven feet tall with a uh, wolf head <laughs> and uh, Edward Scissor hand like talons. Yes. And uh, the disease was believed to be genetic and passed from parent to child over the, over the years. And uh, this family was there and they stayed in seclusion. And they think that this creature went out at night and killed people, right? And they had an investigation into it in the early 1900s and went out to the homestead where this uh, family was supposed to have lived and found it vacant and abandoned. Hmm. Nobody around. No, no. And then some of the early explorers out there in this area were uh, Shawnee fur traders, Right. Okay. And some of the French explorers that came down and uh, would go and do trade, do trading, they would talk about the shadowy presence of a loup garou. Wow. Yeah, a half man, half wolf, otherwise known as the rougarou. Yeah, but of course the French call it the loup garou. Loup garou. Yeah. Now, what do you think of the legitimacy of these writings about the French uh, fur traders? I mean, it seems like it's legit. You know, yep. I mean, somebody. It's a hard thing to come up with. You know, and it I is, mean, anything's possible. But uh, again, you have to say to yourself, what's in it for them? Yeah. You know, it's such an odd thing. I, yeah. I always stand, especially on the older tales, not that the newer uh, uh, stories uh, can't stand on the same, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Anyway, I, I believe that these people were extremely credible and uh, really concerned about how they were seen in public or or the type of man they were understood to be. 
Yeah. I, I don't think they were just flippant with their comments or, or uh, uh, besmirching the way people saw them or looked at them by saying something ridiculous, you know, yep. unless it was true, you know? Yeah. And there's two modern day stories. So one is uh, happened back in 1973, where some young men from Murray State University there were out, you know, on a little bit of break camping there in the land between the lakes. And they had a VW microbus camper, which, you know, we love those things. Super mm-hmm. cool. And they heard something outside of their, uh, you know, campground that was like grunting and sniffing. So it certainly could have been a bear. And uh, then all of a sudden they started hearing this insane howling like a wolf, but much louder and different and unnatural compared to what they had heard wolves to sound like in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, where have we, again, where have we heard this before? People oh, who People who know what they're listening to can identify everything and anything they hear, and suddenly they hear something that they don't know of. No, and here these students are out there for a good time to hang out, and they end up, like, hearing this stuff, feeling like something's watching them, mm-hmm. and they just take off. Like, they yep. jump back in the van and take off back for campus. And when they get back to campus, you know, allegedly they found deep gashes like claw marks torn into the metal of the engine compartment on the back of the bus. Oh, well, when are they claiming this was done? While they were driving or when it was parked? They don't know. You know, well, all they weird. know is that it was there and it wasn't there before they went out there. I mean, what was the top speed of a micro bus? Like 30? <laughs> Maybe 40. <laughs> I mean, I, I could almost catch it if I wore my Nikes. <laughs> <laughs> And then the last uh, widely circulated tale of this um, it occurred back in the 1980s. And this one's kind of interesting, that there was a family camping there with a camper, and um, there was a discovery of a bloody scene where they found, the police found horribly mutilated bodies in a blood-soaked, you know, camper. And um, that all of the bodies are said to have had distinctive, massive claw marks leading to their death. And then there's the rumor that there was a big cover up on this, you know, because it's such a big uh, tourism place that this was never really reported in any way, in a big way. Although, you know, the rumors are that it really did happen. So who knows? But it's kind of interesting. Well, you know, you remember like, maybe not remember, but I'll bring it to mind. You know, in the case of many serial killings, stuff is really kept hush-hush as it's happening. Oh, yeah. Well, they also don't want to give it away, you know, so that when they do find a suspect, you know, they want to see if the person knows what really happened. Because you got all these insane people that confess to stuff that they didn't do. Right, right. Yeah. Like, I was a teenage Frankenstein. Mm. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes, yes. I was a teenage Frankenstein. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Somebody show this guy the door. <laughs> awesome. You know, th- that's interesting, though, that they find this... 
uh, Campo with the body shredded in it. I mean, you could think maybe some bizarre bear attack where it worked its way in the side door and nobody could get out. But that that really sounds unusual to me, you know. Uh, it's uh, cryptid in the news and other oddities for sure. Like, yeah. Who the heck knows? But yeah, that, Land Between the Lakes has a lot of stories around it. You know, those are just a few of them that I touched on tonight, but they go all the way back, you know, into the 1800s and up into, uh, you know, almost a couple of hundred years later. Well, listen to this. Why don't we invite our listeners to chime in on this one? And if uh, anybody out there has any additional information on the Land Between the Lakes... Uh, we'd like to hear it firsthand from you. Yeah, and if you got like a Polaroid of the seven-foot beast with glowing red eyes, you know, right. we'll definitely return it to you after you send it over to us. <laughs> and really, any uh, news articles, anything you may have saved? There's people out there that save everything. Photographs, sketches, yeah. recordings. Yeah. Pictures of you putting the suit on in your bedroom. <laughs> We won't tell anybody. Maybe filing those claws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we won't tell anybody. No. <laughs> well, that's crazy. And uh, by the way, if anybody has a twenty-three window microbus out there, I'll give you a hundred dollars cash for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll match you a hundred. Let's make it two hundred, Bill. Two hundred. Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. And man. we're not talking about a matchbox car before you do it, okay? <laughs> yeah, right. We're talking right. about the full-size vehicle. That's right. That's Made right. in Germany. <laughs> you know, uh, but the last one you read about was in the 80s. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, but you have to look at the history of this again. You're talking about going back into the 1800s. And uh, whatever this thing is, uh, was ongoing for a long time. It's hard to believe that... An individual creature would be living for that length of time. No, no. But they did have me at Loop Garou. Yeah, I mean, that whole shapeshifter thing, you know, that's another thing that's been going around and around for a long time, shape-shifting. Oh, yeah. And amongst a lot of different people who obviously didn't know each other at the time. Correct. You know, so that's that's something that really needs to be dealt with mentally uh, in that how does somebody in New Mexico, somebody in Louisiana, somebody in northern Kentucky, you know, et cetera, et cetera, all use the same terminology about what they're experiencing as being a shape shifter? I agree with that. That's a weird thing, right, Kev? We never, I never heard the term shapeshifter for probably the first 30 years of my life. You mean like when mom and dad got, got mad at you, they didn't say, what are you, a shapeshifter? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never once. I don't recall that either. Yeah, yeah so it's, it's more than just a, a coincidence that terminology has roots, and, uh, you know, it's, it's roots are in certain locations. So that's all I can say about that, you know. Yeah, super cool. Very freaking weird, man. All right, yeah. Bill, so what do you got for us? Well, I got something real interesting here. And uh, 
it's more or less in the form of evidence and comes from a a very uh interesting uh individual in some ways so this this following testimonial came to me by way of a guy named Walter Bloom a resident of the state of Idaho this is what Walter the self-proclaimed skeptic had to share Although I have still not physically seen a Bigfoot, I thought that I would chime in on the discussion in regards to my own thoughts and consequent findings regarding the existence of this beast. I was an M, a radiologist within the hospital setting. As such, where I work, we are operating as a team going from location to location within the hospital with our portable unit taking x-rays of all the different patients as need be. Because of our working in pairs, you get to know many of your co-workers fairly well, spending shift after shift with them, day in and day out. It is a relative... It is relative to one of my team members named Robert that this whole affair about Bigfoot came to be. Robert had transferred to our facility in response to a job offering which was posted online and had consequently moved to my state. Both he and I worked the overnight shift and we were teamed up at least three or four nights a week. It didn't take long with the two of us basically being joined at the hip night after night for Robert to begin sharing with me his interest in Bigfoot. It was kind of a novel thing initially, better than talking about politics or family incessantly, but after a while I began to think he was somewhat of a character. Every day it was Bigfoot, Bigfoot, and more Bigfoot to the point where I was wishing for a change of partner. This went on for months, with him being totally unaware of my utter disgust for continuing down this road with him any longer, when, without any foreknowledge, he invites me to his wedding. What was I to say? He knew my schedule, my lifestyle, and I felt obligated to attend, and so I did. It was early in May 2014 when they were married in their home by a justice of the peace with the reception commencing directly after the service in the same house. It was a good-sized house, and there were about 25 people or so there that day for the festivities. It was a really nice group, including several of his family members from out of state. And after having imbibed in a few brews, Robert invites me into his man cave to show me a few things. As we walked into the room, he had tons of old motorcycle memorabilia going back to the early 1900s, as well as a great deal of Major League Baseball stuff, everything from autographed bats and balls to some really neat photos that I had never seen before. And then the reason for my contacting you began. He brought me over to the corner of a room where there was a large shadow box on edge sitting on a shelf. For those of you who don't know what a shadow box is, it is basically a box made of glass, with the edges and corners being made from picture frame wood, creating a box with glass sides. 
These are generally used to display mementos or valuable items similar, similar to a museum display case. Sitting in this shadow box was a plaster casting of a very large footprint, which Roberts said was from a Bigfoot. My initial thought was that of here we go again with the Bigfoot spiel, but nevertheless it was his wedding and I went along for the ride. I'll give him this much. He was very sincere and knowledgeable about the print, even though I had maintained a posture that it was pure baloney at the time. We then walked over to a single rifle rack he had on the wall, which had laying within it a twisted and cut piece of tree branch, which I thought was very odd-looking. Considering all the valuables which he had on display, why he had a piece of mangled branch sitting in a gun rack seemed odd to me. Taking it down from its holder, Robert began to tell me that he had come across this branch as well as many others in northern Idaho. They were in the same vicinity as the footprint he casted, which was why he took the radiology position here, in order to be closer to the action, as he called it. It was about a two-inch wide piece of branch, which he said at the time was green wood, and it was twisted like a pretzel in the middle, with one end hacked off. He said that this branch, as well as many others he had found, was 10 feet off the ground when he found it, and that he had climbed the tree, hacking it off with his hunting knife in order to take it home. As Robert handed the branch to me, and I held it in my hand, I began to ponder just what type of strength it would take to twist a green limb of this thickness in the way that it had been. Even if it had two stout side branches, which it did not, in the shape of, say, a corkscrew, it couldn't have been done in my estimation. And yet, here it was. It certainly was nothing that would have occurred as the result of a windstorm. And why would Robert or anyone else bother to bring it home to display it? It was just a branch. It was then that Robert said something that up until this point in time he hadn't. He told me he was going into his spot, as he called it, in July, and asked if I would like to come along. I told him I would let him know, and we went back into the gathering. Well, over the next six weeks, I had thought long and hard about what I had seen. And believe it or not, Robert hadn't said a word about any of it during work. I guess he was content in that he had shown me his stuff, as he called it. As you may have already guessed, on July 12th, Robert and I were hiking in and through the Selway Bitterroot Wilderness on the southern edge of the Loxa River. I had moved here very much like Robert, but for different reasons many years ago. 
I was an 80s disco boy from Staten Island. I didn't ski, fish, or hunt. I was simply looking to shake off the high cost of living in taxes and took a shot at a job here just like he did. Thank God my legs were used to walking around the hospital because we were going and the place and the pace at which Robert could scramble, I was going to need everything that my body could muster for this weekend in the woods. (coughs) Excuse me. After several hours of grueling hiking, we were working our way along a fairly steep slope near the edge of the Loxa River. I could hear the water, and at times we could see it as we walked through the trees. Robert had stopped just long enough to tell me that we were coming near to the place where he had cast the footprint, so it was eyes wide open from here on out. I have to say that there was an air of excitement just being there. In my entire life, I had never once been in the deep woods as I was that day, and I was actually enjoying it immensely. The smells and the sounds were alluring, and I was thinking that maybe such a beast could be living here. Keeping in my mind that in Staten Island, I could literally spit into my neighbor's window across the driveway. So this was something quite surreal to me. After four hours of arduous hiking, we stopped to survey what Robert said was the very location of the footprint he had showed me in the shadow box. After several minutes of looking around, I couldn't believe my eyes. Robert had scoped out several impressions in the ground of what appeared to be, even to my untrained eyes, large footprints complete with toes and heels. They weren't that apparent to me, but he said that's where the casting comes into play. When you fill them with plaster, the true shape takes form. So Robert mixes up some plaster, boxed in the print with some window shims which he had brought along, and said we would come back for this cast later. He was as giddy as a schoolgirl, thrilled with the good fortune that had come his way already, and we weren't done. His opinion, having been there, having been there now five times, was that this was a regular pathway for the Bigfoot, and the twisted branches were some type of territorial markers. I, at this point, had officially bought into what he was saying. And the two of us trudged onward, being totally exhilarated by this finding of the prince. After what must have been at least two more miles, we came to the very spot where he had cut the branch down that was displayed in his home. And there they were, directly overhead, branch after branch after branch as we walked, twisted and mangled in the very same way which the one in his house had been. None of them were fresh, but all of them were high off the ground where there was nothing to stand on to reach them. And these woods were so protected that I didn't even believe that a hurricane-force wind entering the trees at this point could do such a thing where we were standing." 
None of the surrounding branches were damaged in any way. Only the periodic, individual, twisted branches could be seen. Some of them seemed to be as high as, say, 16 feet or more. And I started to think of what exactly was wandering around in here that could reach such a height, as well as possessing such strength in its hands and arms. Robert dropped his pack and began to climb a tree. And I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm cutting one down so you can have it for yourself, just like me. After about 10 minutes of hacking away, the branch fell to the ground and I picked it up. We made our way back to where the cast had been drying and killed another two hours waiting it for, to finish curing. When enough time had passed, we carefully dug it out, brushed it off, and Robert then said, this is for you also. And I couldn't believe it. It wasn't perfect by any means, but you would have to be an imbecile to deny that this was a huge human-like footprint that we had just cast in the middle of this woods. I was speechless as I now held it in my hand. Robert wrapped it in towels and packed it away, placing it carefully in his bag, and we began to hike out. To this very day, I, the skeptic, have both items proudly displayed in my home. Robert and I still work together, and I occasionally go out with him in the woods. Since then, Robert says that he has seen two Bigfoot, both on solo trips. I still have not seen one, but I have now seen numerous tracks, bones from what Robert said were Bigfoot kills, as well as heard a number of howls which he said were made by Bigfoot. Having now come full circle from skeptic to believer, it is my opinion that there is most definitely something out there, and I'm not so certain you or I would care to run into it. What do you think of that, Kev? That's pretty wild, and that Selway Bitterroot Wilderness there in Ohio is a pretty rural place. Yeah, well, interesting, though. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> Again, we have a, a, here a guy who starts out by telling us the truth of the matter that he thought this guy was an idiot, uh, was about to cut strings with him asking for a different position or a different partner, gets backed into this wedding invitation, and so the story begins. Yeah, and, no doubt you know, about it, yeah. As I read it, and I'm thinking of myself being in this guy's man cave and being shown this stuff, you really would have to say to yourself, like, what is this stuff? Yeah. You know, the the print and the holding it in your hand and looking at it. And then the stick and the story behind it. Uh, and then something inside of him makes him take the invite uh, with Robert to go to this place with him. Uh, just kind of see it for himself, you know? Yeah, no doubt about it. Very, Very cool. Bo- and you said they were radiologists? 
He said he was a radiologist and that they walked yeah. around in the hospital taking x-rays uh, with like a portable unit going yeah, room so to it's room. Pretty, pretty interesting. You know, the radiologists, right, they, they uh, in a slang way, call them like the hidden pictures champions, you know, because you got to be really good and have a keen eye for what's wrong in a scenario. So not shocking that, you know, this guy going out there in the woods hiking would be the one that can see these prints, you know, see these branches that are tied up or whatever, 16 or 17 feet off the ground. Right. You know, because they really, you know, have a generally have a keen eye for what's not supposed to be there or what's different. Yeah. And which which once again proves my ongoing point, Kev, which is that people see things because they are looking. Yeah. If this guy was just marching along, eyes straight in front of him, not looking at the ground, not looking up, not listening, you know, just looking marching along. Looking at his al- phone, checking his yeah. Instagram posts. Yeah, chit-chatting with his friend just for exercise. None of this would happen. Yeah. Even the guy said he didn't really notice the prince. And Robert was the one who said, basically, you'll see what it looks like after we pull the caster out. Yeah. Uh, uh, plaster out. And uh, that's what happened. Very And cool. it, in all honesty, he said, you know, this was not like a, something pristine that we pulled out of the ground. But he did say you would have to be basically an imbecile to look at it and say that it wasn't a big footprint. Yeah, You know, it wasn't uh, uh, where a rock was laying. He said it had toes, the foot, and a heel. So what? No, what is that? No it's a it. footprint. Yeah. No doubt about it. Absolutely. Yeah. So here we go again, though, with the mammoth strength. He, and look, we're, we're talking about here, according to him, a two-inch diameter branch. So two inches, yeah, I, right? I mean, I was sitting here listening, Bill, and I was like, man, I wish we had a photograph of one of these things. Because well, it just sounds so cool. It's just like, how do you twist? You're looking at a two-inch branch that was fresh. How do you grab that left hand and right hand and twist it up like a piece of taffy? It's not going to happen. No. It's just not going to happen, man. <laughs> And then we go back to the Marble Mountain with the giant limbs, fresh pine tree limbs, yanked off the side of a tree, six inches, eight inches, nine inches in diameter. How do you explain that? Form the little nest, right? Yeah. How do you explain that? Yeah, again, in the middle of nowhere, too. Yeah, I mean, this. to me, again, we talk about where is the evidence there is the evidence, my friend, and to me, it is irrefutable. Tell me, what do you think? A mountain lion tore that branch down? You know, twisted it up with his teeth and paws, you know? It's, it's, not, it's not happening. I mean, nothing makes sense out of that whole thing to me other than it was and is the doing of a Sasquatch. Mm. That's what I have to say about it. Cool, awesome account, Bill. And yeah. again, from uh, Sasquatch Central, Bitterroot, Bitterroot Wilderness in Idaho. I mean, 
That place, look, I've never been there. Uh, but, you know, this region and many regions around the country are not populated. There's not a lot of people going in and out of there. There never has been a lot of people going in and out of there. And when people say, you know, where do they hide? Well, like the guy telling the story just said, you'd have to be an imbecile to not think there are more than ample places for Bigfoot to ditch it around North America. Or as Bugs Bunny used to say, an embezzle. <laughs> I love Bugs. <laughs> yep, yep. What's up, Doc? <laughs> Bugs awesome. Bunny, first base. Bugs Bunny, second base. Bugs Bunny, shortstop. Bugs Bunny, third base. Bugs Bunny, <laughs> pitching. Bugs Bunny, catching. <laughs> you remember that? I do. He I forgot one. about it until you said it. Yeah. Bugs Bunny, left field. Bugs Bunny, center. <laughs> One-man baseball team, or one-bunny baseball team. One-bunny. You know, if you look at Bugs Bunny, his foot could have been mistaken for a Bigfoot track. That is correct. <laughs> and in a dark uh, night filled with lightning, if he was looking in your window, could have been a dog man. <laughs> Big pointy uh, ears. <laughs> Remember when he gets super mad, too, and he'd have the red eyes? Yeah, they start flaming yeah. like, you know. Maybe we're uh, onto something here. It's really yeah. Bugs Bunny. Yeah, maybe Bugs Bunny was a shapeshifter. Bugs Bunny's a shapeshifting Rougarou. <laughs> Although, Kev, you did have that cryptid a uh, couple of episodes back that was said to have a ferocious rabbit head. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that again? Oh, man, now you're testing me. Yeah, me too. Yeah, I mean, one this of the, is one of the theories of it was that it was like seven feet tall and had a yes. rabbit head. Yeah, it was oh, bugs. I know what it was. It was one of the sightings of that bell witch demon. Oh yeah, that's it. Something that was seen relative to the yes. bell witch yes. uh, project. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. I had to bring that up, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. All we need is I'm a freaking I'm looking over my shoulder at the dark woods across from my house. And yeah. I'm hoping there's nobody standing up there because I'm on the second story. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's time to burn your Ouija board. Woo. <laughs> All right. We got some good letters this week, Bill. All right. We like good letters. Yeah. So the first letter comes in from Mike in Ohio. Woo. He says, been listening since the start and still listening here in Ohio. I can't wait to dial in your podcast each week. Keep up the great work. Mm. He says, you mentioned the artwork that fans were sending in on show number 88. Can you post some of that on the web page? I would enjoy seeing it. Keeping my eyes peeled as I drive the highways each work day on sales calls. Maybe one day I will see the big hairy guy ducking into the wood line. Like you guys say all the time, you can't see what you're not looking for. Mike from Ohio. That's what you just said, Bill. Can't see what you're not looking for. Now, I don't think we heard back from some of the artists to tell us that we could put them up on the website, right? 
Oh, well, no, but are you, uh, are you kind of uh, leery of doing it? I am. I, you know me. I'm always ask permission. And more importantly, I want to get permission to put them on a the T-shirt. Yeah, okay. So here we go. Now, I contacted that one fellow. Uh, not that they all weren't good, but Kevin, yeah, yeah, you know yeah, that, yeah. I know that one. one I know that one. one dude just, it was a Giancarlo Stanton Grand Slam. <laughs> no, but he he wrote back saying he was going to work on uh, outfitting us with some proper uh, uh, ammunition belts hanging over our shoulders and weaponry. But I just haven't seen it yet. And I'm sure he's working a full time gig. So yeah, but and hopefully I, he'll write I att- back and get permission. I attempted to call him a few times, and he called me back and didn't leave the phone number. I don't know. It was a, it was an odd kind of thing. But listen, folks. If you sent us in artwork, we need you to resend us out an email that says you allow us to put your artwork of the Bigfoot in the Flying Saucer on our website. How's that, Kevin? Or, yeah, and or make a T-shirt out of it. Right. And or to be used to make a T-shirt out of. Yeah. All right. So that's what we need from you folks out there. And if there's any other people out there who have autistic skills, we had asked for, I had mentioned or was making light of, a Bigfoot flying in an open cockpit flying saucer with aviator goggles on. And that's how this whole thing started. And people started sending us uh, pictures uh, of these things. And obviously some people are really gifted in the, oh my the, goodness! They were all they were all great, but a yeah. couple of them were over the top. Yeah, I mean, you know, you could have made. And a when, com- by the way, when we say make a T-shirt, you know, or like a few hundred thousand T-shirts, not one T-shirt. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, but we'll and, give uh, you a, we'll give you a couple of free ones. You know, come yeah, on, a couple of free ones. Why not? Do we crazy? have to give? Did, do we have to give them a couple? I was thinking one. Well, you know, just in case the size isn't right. <laughs> You take the size we give you and like it. Don't <laughs> yeah, tell speaking me. Speaking of which, Bill, we got another one this week. Uh, I think it came in yesterday, and it was uh, titled UBFO, Unidentified Bigfoot Flying Object. Yeah. And this one was awesome because it had a Rougarou below it <laughs> in the tractor beam. <laughs> Getting sucked up into the flying saucer. And this poor yeah. Rougarou, he looked kind of helpless on his back in the anti-gravity <laughs> tractor beam. I can't, Which is I have a good to way you. to see a Rougarou. <laughs> I tell you, Kim, it didn't look like a Rougarou to me. You know what it looked like? Hmm. Eddie Monster? Wiley Coyote <laughs> genius. That's kind of a, kind of a Rougarou. <laughs> it did look like a little bit like, oh, Wiley. <laughs> yeah, and that one fellow out there, and you know who you are, uh, who drew the saucer uh, with my brother and I standing on the ground waving at it. Uh, you need to get back to us, brother, because somehow we're going to make use of what you did. No, and that's the one Bill I was saying. He did get back to us briefly and said, "I'll add the uh, I'll add the the better uh, drawing of you two on the ground with uh, proper uh, proper weaponry." <laughs> but then so that's what I'm saying. We got to give him some time. Yeah, well, the guy's yeah. got a job, you know. Like, 
You know, well, not everybody uh, is sitting there waiting to do things for us. They're unfortunately, not? Unfortunately. Unfortunately. That's ridiculous. I know. I know. <laughs> All right. Now we go to Fred in Japan. Wow. And Fred writes in, hi, guys. Love the podcast. I teach for the Department of Defense Education Activity in Okinawa, Japan. Huh. Where, and our dad was was in Okinawa, Bill, right? During World War II. Yeah, and yeah. Ended up over there. And he writes, we are the school system for the U.S. military and civilian families overseas. I have several of your books and read some of the encounters to my students. Here is why. I use Sasquatch to teach critical thinking research and writing. Throughout the year, my students are given information both for and against the existence of the beast. And this is how he figures out their uh, critical thinking skills, Bill. Cool. Super cool, right? Yeah. Now, you know, I have to date, Kev, and these are just people I know about. I have been contacted by three school teachers now, uh, all of whom are using my Bigfoot books to gain interest in their students to read. And one of them had put all of the volumes in the school library. Mm. So grandpas, grandmas, moms and dads, if you're out there, and I'm not kidding you, grab one or two of these books, make a little fire pit in your backyard, have some uh, marshmallows, hot cocoa, and read some creepy Bigfoot stories, you will have a good old time, and your kids are going to love it. And maybe buy a set and donate them to the local library. I mean, I'm telling you, Kev, if, <laughs> if, if there's three teachers out there that have found this to be viable in getting their young people interested in physical reading, oh, the, yeah. turning, the turning of paper pages... Uh, I mean, I have to sh- take my hat off to them no, and say, super cool. well done. Yeah, super cool. Get them you interested. Know. I love this story from Japan, too, teaching critical thinking. You know, make the argument for and against the existence of Bigfoot. Fantastic. You can have a little debate over it, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's, it's very interesting, you know. And uh, it just shows you, talk about critical thinking. How about creative thinking on the part of that guy? Uh, coming up with this as a form of subject matter to be used in the classroom. 100%, yeah. All right, and our last letter, Bill, comes in from Miko from Finland. You remember Miko from last week. I was going to say, didn't we read Miko's letter? We did. This is another letter. A follow-up. in response to us reading the other one, which you're going to like this. Okay. He says, hello, WJ and Kevin. Thank you for reading out the listener mail in the, in the last episode. I can imagine you probably were thinking in your mind that Miko is a beautiful 25-year-old, big-breasted blonde living out there in Northern Europe, Finland. <laughs> but I apologize for the different reality and the possibility I might have to disappoint you. <laughs> All right. I'm just an ugly, overweight, and hairy middle-aged dude 
born in the <laughs> mid-70s. Just the opposite to the beautiful woman. <laughs> he says, but luckily, I'm not quite as hairy as a Sasquatch. <laughs> And he says, we listened to your podcast with my lovely wife and laughed out loud. My name, Miko, is a traditional Finnish name for men. And from what I've understood, the name was originated from the archangel Michael. Uh And he says, thanks for pronouncing my name almost correctly. And he said, it's funny, but true at the same time. So here he's talking about my story from the restaurant in Helsinki in Finland, if you remember that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He says it's funny, but true at the same time, how some Finns confuse bears, pronunciation, with beer. I enjoy my beer ice cold and had a chance to eat a bear steak a few weeks ago for the first time in my life. It wasn't as bad as I had heard from some avid bear hunters out there. Actually, it was quite delicious. And now there's another bear steak in my freezer. And as a bird hunter, I'm used to preparing game animals for food. So, Miko, thank you for following up. And uh, even if you did spoil our visual. Well, you know, Kev, we did have Nico Rosberg, F1, F1 champion for Mercedes Benz. Yeah. Was Nico Rosberg a Finn? I don't think so. No. What do you think he was? A German? I think he was a German. He was a German. Either German or Austrian, I think. But you guys correct us if we're wrong. But, Miko, if you're a hunter and you like to eat bear now, why don't you head over to Transylvania (laughs) when you sort off shotgun and take care of business on that ski slope? Yeah, bring your skis. And take care of the brown bear that's harassing the skiers. There yeah. might even be a reward beyond the bear stakes. Yeah, or you might get arrested. <laughs> but, but shoot the bear before you get arrested. And be careful <laughs> if you shoot the bear and it turns into a bat and flies away. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could oh, my happen. Goodness. It is Transylvania. <laughs> you never know what's going to happen in Transylvania. Exactly. exactly. Boy, that is bizarre. Uh, so you're going to post that bear thing, Kev, on, uh, on our web page? Yeah, absolutely. And ABC what is that News page Story. for those who are ignorant? We are going to put it on our episode section under episode 90, which is this episode, episode 90. You will see it there uh, underneath the description of the episode. Uh, you'll see that. and You'll see a couple of other links related to uh, I also found some howl recordings of the land between the lakes monster Excellent. that I'll also post there and that's at bigfoottterrorinthewoods.com folks exactly so you, you, you go over there and we've got uh, some pictures and there's things links to different episodes where there was Available uh, additional data, right, Kev? Yeah, additional info. Maybe a map, yeah. maybe a video to support it, etc. Right. And I yeah. might even put up my latest aircraft creation and fun stuff, Bill, which you saw the pictures of the SBD Dauntless. Yeah, that's freaking incredible. I mean, you're really yeah. getting good at building these uh, models. Yeah, this one, so. I, I watched a lot of YouTube videos of the extreme weathering of the Pacific. And uh, I really love the way this came out. 
So yeah. Well, I'm pretty weathered myself, so I can appreciate that. Me too. Me too. (laughs) (laughs) All righty. Is that the end of the mail? That's the end. Yeah. So, folks, keep those reviews coming, and uh, please make them all five-star reviews because it's nearly the only way that we have to attract new listeners is by getting more five-star reviews. So give us five-star review right now on your favorite podcast player, And thank you very much. By us getting more listeners pulled into our podcast, we can continue to increase the quality of the podcast and continue to keep it on a regular schedule. Excellent, Kev. And folks, by the way, I'm not begging you. I'm just telling you. A lot of hard work and time and effort and cold, hard cash goes into the making of the books, the audio books, the time in the studio, uh, my book lady, I mean, you just, you have no idea. So show some support, go out, buy some books, read them to your kids, give them to some kids as birthday presents, just step up to the bar and uh, uh, do a little bit and it'll go a long way to help me out. And by the way, if you find yourself skiing down the bunny hill in Transylvania, You'd best remember one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight.